This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Today I want to start by looking at a passage of scripture that comes out of Matthew 19. The intention uh, today is to tackle some questions that have been submitted uh, by you guys. So I asked you over the past few weeks to share some questions, and so we're going to tackle two of those today. Uh, but before we get there, I want to take a moment and, and look at something that Jesus said. This passage comes in context uh, when, well, let's just read it. If, you, if you're looking on your phone and you can change the versions out real quick, I'm going to be in the message, uh, which is a paraphrase. If you're uh, if you're in the regular Bible, in the NIV or the ESV or the KJV or the AS, all of them other initials that we could throw at you, it might read a little different, but as a reason that I wanted to go with the way that Eugene Peterson translates it in Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14. One day, children were Jesus in the hope that he would lay hands on them and pray over them. Now let's just stop there. Basically what's happened is there's a bunch of parents like me, all right, because if I found out Jesus was teaching in Albemarle tomorrow, I would take my little daughter somewhere and try to get him to lay hands on her and pray for her. All right, so that's what's happening. All right, there's a bunch of overzealous parents who are really concerned about their kids that are trying to get their kids to Jesus, and the disciples shooed them off. But Jesus intervened, let the children come. Let them alone. Don't prevent them from coming to me. And this is the verse I want to key in on. God's kingdom is made up of people like these. And I don't know if you watch that video of those kids and you see, man, we grew out of something that was really important. That there's something about childhood that's, Jesus says, if we're going to embrace the kingdom of God, we've got to have that involved in us. And so I read an article this past week by a researcher who actually wrote a book. It's, um, it's just super interesting to me because they, his research has impacted companies like Google and 3M. As a matter of fact, some of these companies that are some of the largest corporations in the world, if you walk into their offices, their offices now look a lot like kindergarten classrooms. They literally, in the course of a day, have recess and nap time. Don't you want to work in a place like that? And he came out with uh, four things that are a part of the nature of a child that for us, somehow, when we grow up, we grow away from those. So I just want to throw them at you as we kind of begin this today. The first one is that, that children, what does it mean to be like children? The first thing that children do is that they change quickly. How many of y'all have some kids and you can say amen to that? Man, they change so fast. I mean, my little girl is right in the middle of that season where everything is changing all the time. What she likes is changing. What she says is changing. The way she does things is constantly changing. 
The second thing that he sees is that children are oblivious to other people's opinions. How many of y'all know that to be true? How many of you have got like a five or six-year-old and you just let them dress themselves? And they come out with the funkiest looking outfit you've ever seen. And they love it. They don't care if you don't like it. Rain boots and shorts and a bathing suit. I'm going to go to school like this. No, you're not. <laughs> I am not sending you to school looking like that. But they don't care. It's, it's a inbred in kids. It's something that's a part of their nature to not worry about other people's opinions. The third thing is that they're extremely tenacious. Kids are extremely tenacious. I saw this the other day. We had something sitting on the counter next to my daughter's high chair, and she could barely touch it, all right? But she wanted that thing so bad, right? She just, for a solid 15 minutes, worked on it to get it a little closer, inching it, inching it, and then finally she got it where she could grab it, and she pulled it over and hugged that thing. Kids are tenacious. How many of y'all got a kid right now that's asking you for something over and over and over again? Mom, can we have a, a dog? No. Mom, can we have a dog? No. And it's like, it's going to keep happening. They're going to keep asking for a dog because kids are tenacious. And the fourth thing that I want to really key in on today is that children are naturally inquisitive. They're naturally inquisitive. There's a, a part of the nature of a child that naturally wants to ask questions. It's just a part of the way that they navigate the world. You know why? Because it goes back to some things that are built in there that we've already talked about. They're not worried about impressing somebody, so they're not worried about admitting that they don't know something. If they set their mind on doing something, they want to figure out how to do it. They're tenacious, so they're going to ask, how do I do it? You see, questions are good. And in many of our faith cultures, we've come out of cultures where faith, questions about our faith were subdued. And we were even some of us told, don't ask that question. Don't think about it that way. But questions are good. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus says that if we're going to embrace the kingdom of God, we've got to be like children. And let me just put that down for you. Children, embrace the need to ask questions. That's in your notes if you're taking notes. They embrace the need to ask questions because they embrace change as a normal part of life. They aren't worried about how it makes them look and they refuse to get up give up on getting it right. So questions are good. Let's just kind of all like get our minds reprogrammed on that one. Questions are good. Now as I was diving into the questions that we got, there were two types of questions predominantly that could be divided into two different categories. And so I'm going to pick one out of each category to deal with today. There were Bible trivia type questions. Somebody wanted to know if the Bible said anything about dinosaurs or aliens. All right? Somebody wanted to know what are the swear words that the Bible tells me I can't say. Right? 
It's Bible trivia questions, and then there's worldview questions. There's questions that deal with, this is the world, and how do I be a Christian and deal with this? How do I embrace this or encounter this or deal with this thing that's happening in my life? So just to get started, let's tackle the Bible questions first. Let me just tell you something that's the forerunner for this. I just want you to know that we place a high value at Vortex on the Scriptures. Okay, here's a statement that I've thrown around, but I mean it. It's something that's very important for you. It's actually a quote from Billy Graham from a long time ago. Whatever the Bible affirms, that at Vortex we affirm what the Bible affirms and give freedom where the Bible gives freedom. Now we have a statement of faith. It's online if you want to read it. We even have copies at guest services. But if you want to know how we expect our folks to be navigating through life, it's right here. The Bible is to inform our lives. It's to inspect us. It is to challenge and change us because in John 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the fulfillment of this. And we're all about Jesus, all about living lives that are wrapped and centered on Jesus. So the scriptures are very important. And if you're reading the Bible and you don't have a question, you're not reading the Bible. I'm going to say that again. If you're reading the Bible and you don't have questions, you're not reading the Bible. Because Jesus tells us that we need to embrace this like a child. So let's go ahead and just, let me just give you a background just on the scriptures in general. There are 66 books in the Bible. Out of those 66 books, collectively there are what most scholars believe to be 40 different authors. 66 books, 40 different authors. But here's the beauty of this book, the best-selling book in human history, the book that has the most archaeological evidence for itself. This book has one message about one God from the beginning to the end. One message about one God from the beginning to the end. And so in our efforts to understand the Scripture, sometimes we get in a place and we read something and it's just like, man, I don't understand how that works in this big story. And this question is a good question and it comes out of a situation like that. Let's just read it together. It's in your notes. It'll be on the screen. Question number one. Did Judas have a choice in betraying Jesus? Was he created to do what he did? And did he receive forgiveness? Now, the story of Judas that's being referred to is told, I'm not going to read it out of the scriptures just for time. It's told out of Matthew 26 and 27, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18. All four gospels talk about what Judas did. Judas was one of the 12 disciples, men that Jesus, while he was on earth, selected to follow him. G Judas was also a, a kind of an important character in that tribe because he was the one that took care of all the money. All right? So, so this cat was the guy who 
paid for stuff and took up offering. And when there was an offering of funds that were given, he's the one that the money went to. And as the story goes, leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, Judas sells Jesus out to the religious leaders of his day for 20 pieces of silver. 30. Thank you. It's enough money that understanding the background of the context of the money that he carried, it wasn't about money. Most people believe that Judas does this to incite the beginning of Jesus taking over Israel. There was a belief at this time in the life of Israel that the Messiah would overthrow the Roman Empire and establish a reign of Israel predominant over the world. And there's a lot of people who believe that Judas just got, a, got tired of waiting on Jesus to do something and decided to take the story into his own hands. Now there's some scripture that's really difficult in trying to deal with the question that was asked, but this is a question not necessarily about Judas as much as it is about the nature of God. It's a question that deals with is God sovereign? Is God truly all-powerful? Is he truly all-knowing? So I want to look at a passage of Scripture that provides really the conundrum that's here. It comes in Ephesians 1.11. Let's look at that together. It'll be on the screen. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. It's one of the few places in Scripture where that word predestined is dropped. And so the question, when we begin to deal with the all-powerful, all-knowing God that knows, am I going to... And I used to struggle with this as a kid. Like I heard someone talk about this and I was... I would be riding my bike down the street. This is no joke. I would be thinking about this. I'm riding my bike down the street, and I'm coming up to where the road ends, and I'm like, I wonder if God thinks I'm going to go right. I'm going to go left. God thinks I'm now going to turn left, and I'm like, God knew I was going to go left. Why didn't I go right? An all-knowing God that is all-powerful, this scripture tells us that he works all of this stuff, all the stuff that happens in life for a purpose. And that there is in your life and in my life a destiny in him. But there's something at the root of the question as it was asked. It said, did Judas have a choice? in doing what he did. In other words, Jesus knew, being fully God and fully human, that one day this guy, Judas, betray him. He knew that. That's what the scripture tells us here. But did he have a choice? And I want to go to 
A passage of scripture that we sang about earlier in that first song, and it is something that should challenge us as we read it. It's Jesus speaking in Matthew 16, Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. As you read through that passage of Scripture, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to make a choice. It's not something that you're going to be compelled to do. You must choose to pick up your cross and follow him. I must choose to pick up my cross and follow him. And there's a principle that's at work right there is that in life, we always have a choice. You see, the fact that God knows it's going to happen doesn't mean that he causes it to happen. There's a big difference there. There's a big difference between saying that God knows it and can use it and God causes it. Because when I read through Scripture and Jesus tells me, everybody, all of you, if you're going to follow Jesus, you must. You must pick up your cross. That principle applied all throughout Scripture is that if I'm going to respond to God, I must choose, but I can also choose to respond to myself, to other forces, to evil as well. And it is my choice. Now, this Scripture gives the tension that's in this question is good because it helps us understand some things about asking a question about Scripture. So if we read back through, did Judas have a choice in betraying Jesus? I would say, yes, he did have a choice. Was he created to do what he did? I would say, no, he wasn't created to betray Jesus. But who he was created to be, he hijacked it. And turned it into something else. And did he receive forgiveness? I don't know. Because I'm not Jesus. The question, the scriptures tell us that Judas overcome with remorse after the death of Jesus. Again, some inclination that he didn't really expect what was going to happen to happen. He hung himself and committed suicide. Did he receive forgiveness? I don't know. But what I can tell you is God is merciful and just. And the the scriptures tell us that even his sin, even this horrible sin of turning over Jesus for a, a measly amount of money that God looks at it and says, that sin is nothing compared to the grace that I've leveraged towards you through Jesus Christ. You see, inside most questions that are in the scripture, there's tensions that are there. And this is one of those that exists between this tension of a holy God that's sovereign and all-powerful, but I have to respond to him in choice. 
Because buried behind that is what happens with me. I mean, was I created to do that stupid thing that I did? No, you weren't. You had a choice. And so what we have to do in answering questions that have to do with the scriptures, we have to understand and engage the tensions that are there. That sometimes requires some investigation and some learning, but that is what childlike faith does. It engages that kind of tension. Now, the second kind of question was what I would call a question of worldview. It's the way that we view the world. And I want to tell you something just about worldview that's very important. We're going to build on that as we try to answer this question because this is a very difficult question to answer. Believe me, I took the two most difficult ones that we could encounter today. And this is that our worldview must be completely integrated. Let me explain what that means, okay? What that means is that for most of us, when you guys come here and sit in these chairs, you know the priority that God should have in your life right now. All right? But I'm just going to pick on somebody. He's going to know I'm picking on him. Nobody else is going to know that I'm picking on him. But when you're sitting in the stands and your kids are playing basketball and a ref makes a bad call, right, the question is, is God still at that same place? See, that's an integrated worldview that no matter where I hit, no matter what circumstance it is, no matter how bad, how good, how horrible, how infuriating, my perspective stays the same. All right. The reason that some folks get so mad when they're driving on the road and somebody does something stupid and they are so gracious and humble when they do something stupid on the road is that they got a messed up worldview. Right? They expect people to be kind and generous and gracious with them when they make a mistake, but when other people do the same thing, they get all frustrated and angry. All right? That's a messed up worldview. That means that there's different situations and stuff that we encounter, that we encounter them in a different way. All right? And if we're going to have the worldview that the Bible wants to give us, it's completely integrated. Most of the time, questions that arise out of the way that we view the world are personal and painful. Okay? They are personal and painful. And I don't engage this question today lightly at all. This is the kind of question that you're asked, and you're asked it because there's some personal connectivity to this question. The question is this. Why does God take innocent young lives? Why does God take innocent young lives? That's a tough question right there. And it's the question that for many of us in different times, we've encountered that question because there's been a family that we love and a kid gets sick and it's a terminal illness and you sit back and you go, I do not 
understand this? How can there be a loving, holy, gracious God in such horrible presence of pain? And what's happening is that there's a disconnect in our worldview when that tension comes up. And what's great about God and the way that we live with Him, some of you who are a little bit further along in the journey than me can testify to this, that God naturally through His sovereignty is going to allow us to go through some circumstances that challenge those things. Because just when you feel like you got it all together, something's going to break. Y'all been there? So I want to bring us to a passage that comes out of the book of Romans. Romans 5. Now Romans is a book all about salvation. It is the precipice of Paul's writings. And he is dealing with the context of how can we embrace this work that God has done through Jesus? How can we embrace it and live it out? Because there's all different kinds of people that are encountering that. There are people who have been Hebrews who have followed the way of God for a while, and there are now Gentiles who are worshiping hundreds of gods who are now beginning to take steps into the faith. So we're going to read Romans 5, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who was a pattern of one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For the many died by the trespass of one man, but how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus, overflow to the many? Now, I need to unpack that a little because in talking about sin and death, the Apostle Paul takes us back to the very beginning of sin. And the intention of doing that is to let us know how devastating sin is. He says that through the sin of one man, death came to us all. Through the sin of one man, that we are born under Adam. 
And that when that happened, when sin entered the world, it broke everything. It broke health. It broke our nature. It broke the way that we navigate the world. It broke the way that we relate to other people. Disease entered the world. Because the perfect became imperfect. And one part of this question as it's asked is really important to deal with. Because it's a common perception in our lives. It's a common perception especially in in our local southern culture. It's that question of innocence. Why does God take Innocent young lives. Innocent. Because the Bible tells us that none of us are innocent. That there is something in humanity that is broken from the beginning. There is something that is broken. And you see it. Those of you who have been parents... You see it as kids grow up. You don't have to teach your kid to be bad. All right, my little girl is a great example of this. She hangs out with us and with her grandmoms. That's it. You know what she started doing about two weeks ago? Hardcore tantrums. I don't know where in the world she picked that up from. Right? She didn't pick it up from anywhere. That's the truth. She didn't. Nobody had to teach her how to throw a tantrum. Because there's something that's broken in humanity. And it's called sin. You see, the sin that we deal with, especially the sin that separates us from God, the sin that Jesus died to overcome, it is the sin that I commit. But there was sin there. And we call that, in theological terms, it's original sin. In other words, my father, Adam, blew it. And so... When I was born, I was born with this brokenness that was there. The second thing that's about that question that I would want to deal with is, why does God take? Now, I've kind of already dealt with that earlier. But when humanity broke... Before that, God had designed Adam and Eve as perfect helpmates for each other. There was no disease. There was no death. And God told them, if you eat of this fruit, what? You will surely die. And they did. And they died. And death entered the world. So, Really, even when we look at that question, where does death and disease begin? It begins with sin. It begins when sin entered the world. I think the last part of the question that I would deal with is the question that I think is the most real and honest. That's the question, why? Because a question like that, why does God take some 
very young people that we love. Why, why, does, why do they pass away? Sometimes in accidents, sometimes through disease. Why? I don't know why. The Bible tells us that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That His ways are higher than our ways. And here's something that I want you to embrace about serving and following Jesus. There are things about God I can't understand. And I don't want to follow a God that I can completely understand. Because that means He's just like me. And I don't want a God that's just like me. I want a God who's a whole lot better, bigger, brighter, smarter than me. And if He is that, I can't think like He does. I can't answer why because I'm not Jesus. But here's what I can tell you. In those circumstances, God, through His providence, as we looked in Scripture, that God has a plan. And sometimes His plan comes through pain. Sometimes God's plan comes through pain. And I don't want to be the kind of church that runs from that. As a matter of fact, I want to be the kind of church that when pain comes, I want to run to Jesus and embrace Him and let Him change us. Because some of y'all have experienced this. You know what I'm talking about, that there are moments when your kids get sick and hurt. And what do they do? They come running to you, don't they? You see, that's the heart of a child. If we're going to embrace the kingdom of God, we have to embrace it like a child. And this question, this question is born out of pain. And there is no answer to the question why. But what I can tell you is that God is still in the midst of that. Still loving. Just. He still has a plan. And that if we will, with our hurts, act just like our children do when they're hurt. If we will run to our Father. And love him, he will embrace us. And he may not give us an answer because y'all know sometimes your kids won't understand the answers that you have to give them. And it would just be confusing to them if you tried to tell them. But I promise you this he'll hold you, he'll carry you. So there's a question that I would like to end with. It's for all of us that really deals with this. It's so important. It's this question. Have you walked away from a childlike faith? Have you walked away 
from a childlike faith. Here's some sub-questions that would go along with that. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to change? Because the nature of a child is that they're changing all the time. Are you too worried about what other people think about you? Are you too worried about what other people think about you? Is that keeping you from doing what God would have you to do? Because some of us in this room, y'all just need to go to work with that bathing suit and tutu and rubber boots on. Because you're so worried about what people think about you. You're hiding. What about this one? Are you easily frustrated? Are you easily frustrated? I mean, is there... Something that you just, if it doesn't work in five minutes, I'm giving up on it. Because the heart of a kid is not frustrated. They're tenacious. They know what they're trying to do and they keep going. And some of you, God's dropped some dreams in your heart. He's dropped a vision in your life. And you are kind of like the kid that stopped asking for the dog. And you need to start asking for the dog again. And the last one that just really goes with this message today. Have you forgotten how to ask questions? Right now, is your faith a big, tidy little package with a beautiful bow on top of it, wrapped up and succinct? I don't have any questions. I don't. Or are there things that produce wonder and awe in you? Are there things that drive you to the Scriptures to say, God, I, I, don't, even know, I don't even know how to process this thing. Have you forgotten how to ask questions? Let's pray. God, thank you for letting us today walk on some, some holy ground and dealing with some questions. God, thank you for people who are vulnerable and inquisitive enough to ask. Today, God, I just pray that those of us that are in here, some of us that have walked away from a childlike faith, that through your grace and mercy today, that you would release us from the chains that have kept us from doing what it takes to embrace your kingdom in our lives. For some of us today, God, it's just time. It's time to change. Some of us, it's time to stop worrying about what other people think. Some of us, God, we need to look back and realize that there's some things we've given up on that we need to just keep pursuing. And for all of us, all of us in this room,
God, help us to keep asking questions. Keep growing us and challenging us and changing us and conforming us into the image of your Son for your glory and your renown so that we can be more complete reflections of Jesus in the lives and the worlds that we encounter. So with nobody looking around today, I would just like to ask one simple question. If you're here today, you would say, you know what? You talked earlier about about making a choice, and Jesus said that if I'm going to follow after him, I have to pick up my cross and follow him. But I've never made that choice. Now, I've talked about it, and maybe I've served, and maybe I've been involved in a church, and maybe I've given regularly, but I've never made that choice. And I, I can see now that that's a choice I have to make. If that's you and you're here today and you want to make that choice, you want to, at this moment, you want to say, you know what? Yes, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to make that choice to follow Jesus. Would you raise your hand right now so I can pray with you all around the room? I'm willing to follow Jesus today. Then let me just ask another quick question to pray for those of you that are like this. Today, if you would say, I've walked away from having a childlike faith. There's some things that we talked about today that are just challenging. I know that I need to change those. I need to embrace that in my life because I want to live and impact the earth that we live on with the kingdom of heaven in my life. And if I'm going to have that, I'm going to have to be like a kid. If that's you and you want to embrace a childlike faith and you're willing to make those changes, would you raise your hand today? That's awesome. So let me pray as we get ready. God, thank you for those who have committed their lives to you, those who, God, today, those who are here who say, God, we want to live with a childlike faith. God, through your grace and mercy, teach us what it means to walk that out each day. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen.